Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to On the Continent, your definitive guide to the week in European football. I'm Dotton Adibayo. I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm Jonathan Johnson. On this Get on the Good Foot Part 1 edition, Napoli and Inter's success in joining Milan in the Champions League quarterfinals, a sign of the great Italian football revival or evidence of slipping standards in the world's premier club competition. Also, the Conference League and its unintended Champions League consequences. And are PSG's local youngsters finally getting a look-in amongst the club's superstars? Yeah. What should we start off talking about? We've got to talk about the Champions League for obvious reasons. And this question from Skit Scots on Instagram. What dream matchup do you want to see in the next round of the Champions League? Jonathan. Well, I mean, on the topic of dreams, uh, as someone with a vested interest in French football, I guess I'd have to wish that a French team was still in the competition. But uh, on a... <laughs> On a more serious note, um, I mean, I'd quite like to to see at least one of the kind of, you know, I guess what we could call relative minnows in the competition uh, continue. So perhaps like a Napoli Benfica, because that way at least you get you know one of the you know the sort of feel good success stories of one of the the teams punching above its weight, continuing to do so uh, beyond the quarterfinals. Although that in itself is maybe a little disrespectful to Benfica, who, you know, it's not their not their first rodeo at this stage, as Andy will know. Yeah, that's right. Actually, this was exactly the time that I called on Ramble Reacts earlier. I, I wanted to see 
Napoli Benfica. So one of them would end up in the semis. I mean, it's extraordinary when you think that Napoli have never actually been in the Champions League quarterfinal before or a European Cup quarterfinal. Obviously, it was a lot harder to progress, you could argue, depending on the draw when it was the era of Maradona because, you know, it was just knockout all the way and champions all the way. Um, but as, to, to see Napoli get somewhere would would be absolutely fantastic. Nicky Bandini actually pointed out that maybe an Inter-Milan quarterfinal would be interesting. And I would be into that. I would be into that. Oh, there would be a lot of local interest mm. into that. But what Jonathan said about Benfica, uh, for them, it being described as a relative minnow, and you did apologise for that, uh, or at least, you, you know, in the way you pointed out that they might take umbrage with that, it's 53 years, you know, uh, since... No, it's 55 years since 1968. I worked out the maths. And then, of course, they were the kings of Europe, I'd have thought, in the old European Cup. Well, that, they were, by then, they were, full, <clears throat> they, they were fully under the curse of, of Bella Gutman, having won it in 61 and 62. And then he came out and said, after they couldn't find a contract renewal, you won't win a European trophy for another 100 years. Yeah. And you look at all the European finals they've lost since. I mean, you remember before the 1990 final in, in Vienna when they, they, they lost that Frank Reichard goal for Milan. Eusebio actually went to the grave of Bella Gutman in Vienna and said, can you please take the curse off? <laughs> and it didn't work. It, of course not. And somebody should make a movie about that because that's the only thing I remember about Bella Gutman and his curse. However, um, that matchup may or may not happen. If it happens, let's bring you two back again. For this week, though, let's talk about Milan. They've made it to the quarters and they're one of or two of three Italian teams have made yeah. it to the How unusual is that? Do you want to begin with that, Andy? Um, well, it's the first time since um, both Milan and Inter in the, in the quarterfinal since 2006. So that's absolutely huge. I mean, you know, we, we go through phases of, of, of power, don't we, in, in, in European Cups and Champions Leagues. And, um, you know, in the end of the 70s and start of the 80s, you, you had England. Um, then in the 90s, you have lots of Italy, which bleeds into the 21st century. Um, you've got the Spanish period. You've got another Premier League period. I don't think we're heading for another Italian period. But I think part of that, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts, Jonathan. It feels like an exploit for both Milan and Inter to get into the quarterfinals. Now, we, we talked about it last week, how Milan were a, a little green in last year's competition because we, we spoke about it with Nicky, how they've got... They've got the name, but not the experienced team at the moment, despite Antonio Conte's protestations. With Inter, as I said on Ramble Reacts, and as I suspect I said on the out the matches coming from Porto versus Inter, they find new and spectacular ways to trip themselves up, Inter. And since 2010, it's been very, very slim pickings. Um, so what do you think, Jonathan? Is this the Italian revival or have these two teams just done extremely well to get this far? I don't think it is an Italian revival. Um, I do think, uh, you know, that we could be witnessing the birth of something special that could last multiple seasons with Napoli. Uh, I do agree with your point though about Inter and Milan, uh, you know, that 
it is an achievement for them to get here. And I think Milan, uh, you know, given that they only returned to sort of the, the top European table recently, have shown at least some sort of progression over these last two campaigns. You know, one, getting back into Champions League, getting a feel for it again, and now, uh, you know, reaching the, the latter stages and already, uh, you know, being at the quarterfinal stage. I mean, what having Inter and Milan at this stage reminds me of is there's that famous picture, I think, from the early 2000s where I think you've got Matarazzi, is it Rui Costa? Where yes. Sort of like looking at the flares, like the the stadium is pretty much on fire as all the flares are raining down on the pitch, and uh, you know it reminds me of that kind of era when you know they were sort of you know regular um, or regulars, uh, you know, at this stage of uh, of the Champions League. So. I do think it's great and refreshing to have them back, um, you know, and I hope that this renaissance will last longer than it did for the French clubs in 2020 when PSG and Lyon made their deep runs in the Champions League. But for Napoli, I do feel that sort of when you look at the way that the squad is set up and what they could achieve this year domestically and on the continental stage, uh, you know, there's definitely the possibility that this could be more than just a one season wonder, I think, for Sp- Spalletti and his men. Concentrating on this season, you've had a good look recently, Andy, at Inter um, in Portugal mm. against Porto. Are you convinced that they, or indeed any of the Italian clubs, will make it through to the semi-finals? Well, I, th- I think it's very draw-dependent given how strong they are or aren't, really. Uh, the, the thing that struck me about Inter, I, I think really they won that game, in the they won that tie in the first leg because... Porto were better than them for a, a lot of the first leg. But um, the late Lukaku goal, and which was really his only involvement in the tie because he only had a little cameo in the second leg. And um, the Ottavio sending off, I, I think, were key. Because Ottavio going changed the game. It changed the first game, but it changed the second game as well because he wasn't able to play. And they looked quite vulnerable down that, that right-hand side despite Pepe having a, a really good performance. That's Pepe, not Pepe. By the way, there is a difference. Um, and the thing that surprised me about Inter in this game and the second game, they defended with relative comfort. And, you know, you look at them going to Spezia on last last Friday and dominating the game and then making a right old mess of it, conceding some some daft goals, even though it was a very nice goal by da- Daniel Maldini, of course, the, the the son of Paolo, scoring against Inter. Is great, he as handsome moment. as his dad? Oh, he's getting there, definitely. Yeah, I'm just checking. <laughs> it's a handsome family. It's a handsome family. And, you know, Inter are reliably unreliable. So I suppose in that sense, it's no surprise that they go out there, they defend really competently, all apart from like that bit in injury time where they clear one off the line and Porto hit the bar and post in the space of 40 seconds. That's what you call uh, pinball I mean, wizardry. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's, it's a classic inter-panic. But I, I think the level of control they showed in that, just like the level of control that Milan showed against Spurs the previous week, that's something that I wasn't necessarily expecting of either of them. They wouldn't be the favourites for me, uh, but I think a lot of my answer is going to depend on the extent of uh, Aussie men's injury because obviously we saw, uh, you know, him uh, being forced off in that uh, in that Napoli second leg win. Um, you know, fingers crossed it's not too serious because we've seen what 
the impact of losing him for a prolonged period of time has been, uh, you know, notably last season, uh, you know, when he had that facial injury. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, for me at this moment in time, given the way that they're playing, momentum is so important. Napoli have it. Uh, you know, I'd say that probably my least favourite, um, you know, at this stage would probably now be Milan. Uh, you know, it's, I think the achievement is just getting to this stage for them. Inter, they're, they're the one that could go either way. Um, you know, I don't think things have been working out domestically the way that, you know, they would have hoped, but they've also, you know, had a bit of an upturn in form, uh, you know, since the the beginning of the calendar year. So for me, I'd, I'd certainly rank Napoli up there uh, as my favourite to advance a little bit further, certainly if Aussie men's injury is not uh, too serious. But uh, for me, I think that Milan are probably the ones that I would expect to definitely fall away uh, at the well, quarterfinal stage. Well, well, I guess with Aussie men, we should keep our fingers crossed that he can cross his fingers after that fall. But I, I, I mean... Although he is, has been an absolute force of nature, I think one of the most impressive things about Napoli is the bit where he got injured in the Liverpool game and he was out for a month and they kept going relentlessly. So Raspadori chipped in with goals, Gio Simeone chipped in with goals. I think that's really been the achievement of Spalletti, that he can make the players who aren't getting a game because Spalletti is very clear. He's got a good squad, a better squad than many expected. He's been very clear on what he thinks his best eleven are. I think most fans could who watch Napoli on a semi-regular basis could could name it. So to have that and to still have Raspadori, to have Oliveira, to have um, Lozano, to have Simeone ready to go, I think has been the thing for their season. You look, they've all made vital contributions, both domestically and overseas. In in terms of which would be so I I, I agree. 100% that, that Napoli are the, the favourite out of the Italian teams. Also, you've got to bear in mind they've, they've dropped one game. They've only not won one game in the Champions League this season, which is extraordinary for a team with their, you know, as we said, a club with their limited heritage in the competition. If I had to bet on one of Milan and Inter to go deeper, I think I'd go for Milan, JJ, simply because of Mike Manuel. I think he makes just such a massive difference. We talked last week and Nicky talked last week about it's not just the saves, his presence, how he governs the box, his distribution. The difference between him and Tata Dasanu, the reserve, is absolutely massive. And it made a huge difference that he could come back for that that tie against Tottenham, for example. Coming back for that second leg, I think it made a, an enormous different, difference, even though he didn't have to make save after save after save. Um Inter are just so strange because you know they're capable of beating anyone on their day, but will they do it? Will they turn up or not? It's it's absolutely impossible to say. The other thing I can't work out with Inter is why Marcelo Brozovic isn't starting more. I, I know that Nicolo Barella is their key midfielder now. Okay, I get that. But a guy who can run 15 kilometers a game and set the ball on a sixpence, I, come on. Uh, maybe he hasn't really got going again after the World Cup. So, you know, I'm, I'm sure Inzaghi sees him training more than me. But, uh, yeah. You see, the question marks... Over, I think they need that control. There, there, there are question marks over all the three Italian teams, even though what strikes me as just an onlooker is that they all play on the front foot, as Milan did against, Milan did against Tottenham, as we know... Uh, over and over again that Napoli did, maybe into to a lesser extent. And yet we're questioning whether they're good enough to progress 
in, in the Champions League. I wonder, and this is the elephant in the room, JJ, I wonder if in having a conversation about an Italian revival, seeing three Italian teams in the Champions League quarterfinal for the first time in years, uh, I think Atalanta was the last time we saw an Italian team in the quarterfinals, and that was three years ago. But then, as far as the other teams are concerned, it's way back. And as we've said, Napoli don't have much of a pedigree in it. I wonder whether the elephant in the room is, or the question we should be asking, is whether those there's an Italian revival or there's a slip in standards in the in the Champions League that has allowed these three Italian teams to be where they are at the moment. I mean, I think specific to this season, standards are not quite as high in the Champions League as they have been in the past. And obviously this campaign is very unique in that there was a World Cup slap bang in the middle of it. So I think a lot of sort of form issues or, you know, certain players being off the boil can be attributed in part, uh, you know, to that. Um, you know, but I, I mean, I don't think that sort of, you know, chalking up the likes of Atalanta, the likes of Napoli to simply the Champions League not being, you know, what it was is fair because, you know, I think Atalanta and Napoli have both, you know, managed to construct very good squads, uh, you know, on lesser budgets than a lot of the teams that they're competing with. Uh, and I think that in itself, uh, you know, is a triumph, certainly, uh, you know, in the modern game and the way that it's, uh, you know, the, the way that it's heading. So for me, I don't think necessarily that it's about Champions League standards slipping, uh, you know, generally, although I do think that this season, uh, you know, is quite unique. And because of that, that's why we could see an unexpected name, uh, you know, going all the way. I mean, once again, in unique circumstances back in 2020, we very nearly had Lyon, uh, you know, Lyon who struggle, uh, you know, to, to Andy's despair to qualify for Europe at this moment <laughs> in time, nearly, nearly in a Champions League final. So, you know, I think when there are sort of, circumstances outside of our control uh, you know it creates the kind of conditions uh, you know for for surprise winners of uh, the potential surprise winners of the the Champions League you see that's the kind of answer I'd expect from JJ being in Paris in the home of the Entente Cordiale but don't hold back Andy you are the author of All or Nothing a year in the Champions League come on this ain't the Champions League that you wrote about a decade or so ago it was it turns out better in 2004 even, even though Porto won it that year it, it 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 to me it's 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 strange how it simultaneously seems almost impossible that that situation could happen again that a team outside the top five leagues could win it and on the other hand it does feel to me like that there has been a a, a global drop in standards I think you look at Napoli both continentally and we talked about them a, a lot and quite rightly so if you look at them both continentally and domestically you're looking at a very high performing much better than everyone thought they were side and squad, brilliantly coached, taking advantage of falling standards, I think. And I, I think standards have been falling for a while all over European football. And it's, it's just normal because of the calendar squeeze um, brought on by the pandemic, brought on by the World Cup. The programme that the players are living with at the moment, I think inconsistency, which is kind of something that affects all of modern football anyway because football's more physically exacting than ever and the the, the programme is unbelievable. So, you know, we talked on Ramble Reacts about Liverpool's drop-off, which I think is also inevitable. I, I, I think it's what makes the Champions League in general so open because you know, every, everyone's lost a little bit. So th th there's, there's a sense of 
of levelling. It doesn't mean it can't be fun. It doesn't mean it can't be exciting. But I don't think this is the, the best Champions League that ever been. And who knows, if we want something really coming out of left field, Romelu Lukaku, maybe he could make the decisive contribution. Inter have said now that he's not going to stay there. They'll be sending him back to Chelsea at the end of the season. So maybe that could be... You know, we'll, we'll leave that one surprise. for when Nicky's back on because I, I, I was gobsmacked because obviously went from Chelsea to Inter, back to Chelsea, then back to Inter in, you know, all sorts of I think it's what, 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 what you call poor career management, un, unfortunately. Is it? Uh, uh, because yeah. I thought it was musical cheers. If the Champions League is slipping in standards, it's a good opportunity to have a look at the Conference League. Um, who are they? You're not enjoying it so far? Well, it's not one that I follow. I can't bring myself to follow. Because my sense is these are the teams, and you could argue that with the Europa League as mm. well, these are the teams that didn't make it into the Champions League, is my sense of it. And didn't make it into the Europa League. Yeah, as well. Either. Although the trophy itself is very beautiful and elegant, some would argue a, a crystalline upgrade on the Europa League. Would JJ but agree with that? I, I, agree? I, I, I just think, surely, surely now, now Roma have won it. That gives it some legitimacy, right? You know what? I, I think I'm going to be biased in my answer, both as an Aston Villa fan and also somebody who's praying that France, uh, you know, overturns its continental woes. You know, <laughs> uh, there, there are some leagues now that, you know, whether, you know, we can consider it an elite continental competition or not, have to take it seriously. You know, the, the coefficient situation is such that France absolutely now has to consider, uh, you know, a potential Nice victory in the in the Conference League, which is, you know, what everybody is hoping for, for the good of French football. Uh, you know, especially now, I mean, we're, we're recording this on a Thursday. Uh, the victory for, by Ghent over Basaksehir here on Wednesday night actually temporarily lifts Belgium over France. So if Nice were to crash out against Sheriff, Sheriff, of course, who beat Real Madrid in the Champions League not that long ago, uh, you know, then suddenly French football would be plunged into, uh, you know, this absolutely massive, uh, you know, potential disaster, which funnily enough could bring, uh, you know, quite a, a comedic quote from LFP chief Vincent Labrun to, to life, where when talking about the importance of the, the CVC deal, which basically helps to, to bail out, um, you know, Ligue 1 and Ligue 2 professional French football, essentially, uh, after COVID and after the collapse of the, the Media Pro TV deal. He said that if France is not a top five league, uh, you know, come the, the new European footballing reforms uh, in, in 2024, it will become the the Slovenian league the equivalent of the Slovenian league which I mean it it is it is a laughable quote but there's also some truth in it so now you know some of these leagues that are kind of teetering on the verge of being surpassed in the top five like France uh, you know have to take it majorly seriously so I think in that sense uh, you know it does give it added legitimacy especially when you consider that I think it am I right in saying that Champions League Europa League and Conference League are all worth the same in terms of coefficient points for whichever country has a club that goes on and wins it that's absolutely right and I think what we we really are discussing here are the unintended consequences of the the Conference League of course it was set up to be more inclusive, which UEFA always says it's about, to in include more in elite European competition, to give those um, teams, I, I guess, who've been 
negatively affected by the Champions League and its colonisation by, by by the top five leagues to give them a, a, a little bit more of a chance to include more of the European football diaspora. However, another side effect of it, because of what JJ explained, with all the points from winning in each competition counting equally towards um, a country's ranking. A, a country's ranking index, coefficient ranking index. Um, it means that basically Feyenoord's run to the Conference League final last year has done the Netherlands a lot of good. And so <clears throat> both France and Portugal's places in the UEFA ranking index are heavily threatened by the Netherlands. So another side effect of Porto's elimination this week is that Portugal is highly likely to lose one of its three Champions League places from 2024 onwards, largely because Portuguese teams haven't done much in the Conference League. So that's the thing. Not only do you need to take it seriously, you need to have been taking it seriously since the beginning because now you have Feyenoord, who could be on the brink of a quarterfinal in the Europa League. Um, you have uh, Azed Alkmaar, who won the first leg of their Conference League tie away at Lazio. Of course, Lazio, as we've spoke about in the past, they mocked Roma for celebrating the uh, Conference League so much and now they would absolutely love to to win it. And you've got this situation with France where they're really, really reliant on Nice knocking out Sharif and, and, and going a, a, a little bit further just to hold on to their places in the in the competitions that are, are super important. This is the point that everyone's looking at, though, 2024. Staying in that top five, as JJ was saying, is super important because from that point onwards, if France are in it, for example, they could be getting four Champions League places. So three automatic and one through the sort of playoff situation. What difference would that make to French football and its prestige, do you think, Jonathan, to have four Champions League qualifiers? And what difference would it make to those teams who are missing out constantly on the Champions League? I'm thinking particularly of Monaco and, and, and Lyon, actually, if there was more of a window for them to, to get there. Oh, it would be absolutely huge. I mean, I don't think that you can. we can sort of absolve uh you know monaco of some sort of responsibility given the nature of some of their uh you know exits uh in recent <laughs> years i mean obviously they got they got very unlucky against Shakhtar donetsk in fact it's funny um because i pointed this out after ren uh you know crashed out to Shakhtar. yes they exited on penalties but french clubs have suffered against Shakhtar via freak deflections for like the last couple of years now because you have monaco in the the champions the qualifiers yeah. yeah one of the most freak own goals that you will ever see and then you until. have that, that yeah exactly until <laughs> yes. the one against Ren, which sent the game to penalties which then you know managed to knock out another french club i mean that that night watching in front of my tv was horrendous just seeing like the, the french <laughs> clubs in europe dropping like flies it you know you kind of had that hope that not might be able to pull off the impossible against juventus which was quickly doused by di maria uh you know then you had uh you know um monaco 
dropping out in wild circumstances against Bayer Leverkusen in that you know absolute goal fest of a, of a two-legged encounter. And then that left the ultimate drama with Ren, where they look like they're cruising through and then suddenly you get, you know, you get that drama of them going to penalties and, and getting knocked out. So yeah, I mean, you know, everybody I think in French football is very invested in what happens at the moment because they know the importance of remaining in the top five uh, for when those European reforms come in because to have an extra Champions League spot, you know, would be, would be huge. At the end of the day, Ligue 1 needs more than just PSG to represent it in Europe. See, JJ always gives us a different perspective. Now we know why Shakhtar felt comfortable selling Mihailo Mudrik because, well, French teams score all their goals for them. <laughs> <laughs> also, while we're on the topic of the Conference League before the question, I might add, I mean, does Jose Mourinho getting a tattoo of the trophy like not add legitimacy in itself? I, mean, I know that <laughs> no, Mar- Mar- no. Mar- Mourinho is a dab hand at using his social media for uh, for. for all manners of purposes. Yeah. I enjoyed his uh, his cross arm gesture recently, supposedly to advertise watches and jewelry, not uh, you know to to protest against another suspend domestic suspension. But uh, you know, I think that in itself, the fact that Mourinho's Roma, uh, you know, won the the first title, that, that does give it sort of uh, an element of seriousness that people were a bit dubious that it that it might lack. Uh, this from Kyle on Twitter: Can Fiorentina win the Conference League? I have a soft spot for the Viola and it would be brilliant to see them win a European trophy. Now, this this cuts back in to what JJ was saying. Sometimes it's just about the feeling you get from it, isn't it? And to add prestige, if it was just... I, I think when the competition was created, a lot of people thought, you know, it would be the team that was third in the Slovenian league versus the, the runners-up in Azerbaijan. And, you know, everyone, I'm I'm all for including as many teams as possible. That's really important. But these teams, they want to play the big names as well, don't they? I remember speaking to a Hearts fan on the train uh, a few weeks ago. And he was was saying, oh, yeah, I went to the Fiorentina game. It was amazing. He said, they played us off the pitch. But it was absolutely incredible to have European football at Tynecastle and to have us playing Fiorentina. Now, of course, I was far too polite to say that Fiorentina are struggling a little bit this season under Vincenzo Italiano. But it is about the names. It is about the big nights. It is about the feeling of prestige. And if you can spread that feeling, it's pretty fantastic. And just because West Ham have the most money of any team in this competition by an absolute mile, it's not a guarantee of them winning it. I think Fiorentina could do it. They've got so many good players. Like On their day, it could be, it could be possible. Of course, um, Sofiane Amrabat had that little bit of a post-World Cup sulk when he didn't get his move, of course. He, he looked like he might be off to um, Barcelona or Chelsea at the, the end of the window and it, it didn't quite happen for, for financial reasons. You look at the fact that Artur Cabral's started to score again. They can make it fun on their day. I, I think it's an open competition and the, the back end of it's going to be fun. Although, doesn't that underline, JJ, that it's teams from the big leagues, nevertheless, that end up doing well, even in the Conference League. Because uh, Andy mentioned Fiorentina, they're still Serie A, West Ham, still Premier League. And last season, all four of the semi-finalists were from major leagues, Leicester City, Roma, Feyenoord and Marseille. You do wonder whether, and I'm the only person here who has not slagged off the Slovenian League. I want that to be noted. (laughs) But 
it does make you wonder, you know. After your start to the section, it's too late to start winning points now. <laughs> like I said, the whole point with the Conference League, you have to take it seriously from the beginning. I am Which now. is what Portugal are finding out. Yeah, this is the beginning for me. This is where I draw the line. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? It is kind of like, it becomes a uh, tournament, certainly in its final stages, it seems, for teams from the major leagues who didn't make it or didn't progress in the Champions League and the Europa League. Yeah, I mean that you know there is, there is um, you know a lot of logic to to that argument, but equally at the same time, I mean you look at some of the teams that are outside of the top five who are identifying it as a you know potential way to to aid uh, you know their their domestic competition and boost the coefficient. You know you've got West Ham who dwarf everybody in financial terms, but equally they're the only uh, you know Premier League representative left. But to have like a little bit of you know sprinkling of continental goodness as well when you've got teams from like Cyprus, Sweden. Poland, Switzerland, uh, Slovakia, uh, you know, it's, it is, uh, you know, becoming more of a, uh, a you know, a, co- a continental uh, mix, a melting pot, uh, you know, if you, if you will. And I think a lot of it as well, uh, the importance of a competition like this depends on, you know, the fan base as well, because yes, there are teams that have perhaps fallen off, uh, you know, after the, over the last couple of decades, it's a way to get back into Europe for them. I mean, speaking as a Vela fan, uh, you know, European, you know, cup winners from unfortunately before my, my time, but equally, uh, you know, a club with a lot of pedigree. And I remember, feeling very, very upset and hurt back in the day when Villa were chasing potential Champions League qualification and Martin O'Neill sent famously, infamously, sent the kids to, to Moscow and we crashed out to CSK Moscow. But that European run, uh, you know, some of the games that we got to see at Villa Park, it was brilliant. You know, and you mixed the sublime with the absolutely farcical. I think we we drew with with Ajax in like the big return of European football to, to Villa Park. I remember traveling down for that and it was fantastic. Uh, you know, and then I think I also traveled to Villa Park to see us beaten by Zelina, uh, you know, when we fielded a bunch of uh, reserves and then we came up against CSK Moscow. Uh, you know, those kind of, they have huge importance, those kind of experiences to football fans, especially at clubs where, you know, you've been starved potentially of continental involvement, let alone success over a prolonged period of time. So I do think, uh, you know, that there is, you know, huge value and, and legitimacy to a to a competition like this for fans of certain clubs, uh, you know, who have sort of fallen by the wayside in, in terms of uh, European competitiveness over the years. And what he's saying is it's not a proper European competition until Unai Emery's won it. <laughs> you like to look five years younger in a clinical study people that had volume added with juvederm voluma xc in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment look younger feel like you add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with juvederm voluma xc reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with juvederm volure xc for important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode of the Football Ramble is sponsored by BetterHelp. Life throws many different challenges at us, and as a result, we all have our own sources of stress. Whether big or small, those stresses can impact our lives in unpredictable ways, and if we don't address them, they can have an outsized and unwanted impact. Therapy is a safe place in which we can address these issues, learn to understand them, and find ways to work through them. Having therapy can be beneficial to anybody, not just people who've experienced major traumas, even if you may have not considered it before. It could be simply a time for you to get things off your chest, a way to learn positive coping skills or how to set boundaries. Ultimately, it can be whatever you need it to be. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire and BetterHelp will match you to a licensed therapist. You can even switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com forward slash ramble today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com forward slash ramble. It's time to talk about the generation gap, and, and not only because I discovered yesterday from the Chancellor's budget, um, spring budget, that I will have to work forever. I was looking forward to retirement. Um, <laughs> no, but... you weren't. <laughs> <laughs> you know me too well. But also, also, because Zlatan, can you believe it, at the age of, what, 99, has been recalled to the Sweden side? Well, he never said he was quitting did he? Yeah, he, never, well, he never said he was quitting Sweden. Yeah, but when you get to a certain age, you've quit, whether I, you like it or not. I mean, I would be I, I would be using this as a little segue into how PSG need to build around a new youth, That's exactly youth what movement. I'm doing. Is that what you're doing? Yeah, I'm very clever. This right, is why okay. I will never retire. Okay. Well, <laughs> let's focus on PSG because they've had it in the neck now for years about them concentrating on established superstars. Uh, many of them from Spain, as we know, their front line and so on, and that they don't look in their own backyard for the youngers coming through, whether that backyard be in their academy or just in their uh, geographical environment. And they're getting it in the neck again because they haven't changed the model. It is still about the, you know, the Galacticos of Paris, isn't it, rather than the youngsters coming through in Paris. What are people saying about them at the moment? Well, I'm going to take you on a tangent quickly before answering that, and I'm going to, I hope to keep it as short as possible. But like going back to the going back to the Zlatan point, Zlatan now 
reminds me of like Brooks in Shawshank Redemption. You know, the guy who was so institutionalized that he couldn't actually like leave the the, the world of being in prison. Uh, and I, I, to be honest, I'd put Gianluigi Buffon into that group uh, as as well. I think, you know, yeah. they're just guys who just don't know how to quit the sport because I don't think they really know what they might do, uh, you know, in any kind of role. I mean, Zlatan, apart from his deep sea fishing, uh, you know, I don't think he had, knows oh, what he direct, might do or reconvert he's a, to. He's a director of Hammer B, the great Hammer B, you know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know he has his uh he has his paddle uh his paddle project as well and his uh i think he had some energy gum at one point as well but no sticking with the the film tangent and taking it back to psg it's groundhog day at parc des princes once again it's it, it this happens every single year every year that psg don't go at least beyond the quarterfinals it feels like you know history is uh is repeating itself i kind of feel like psg and their Champions League hopes are now in that phase of Groundhog Day, the film where Bill Murray is basically inventing different ways to kill himself on each of the, the repeat, repetitive days because he's just got so fed up of living the same day <laughs> over and over again. I'm not going to liken Kylian Mbappe to, to Punk's a Tawny Phil, but it's, you know, it is, it, it really does. It does start to grate the repetitive nature of it because it kills PSG's season. And, you know, it's amazing that it's taken... Uh, you know, so long for people to actually cotton on to the fact that if PSG had perhaps put a little bit more into developing some of the youngsters that they had on their books since the beginning of the project, they'd probably actually have a really pretty successful team right now. I mean, I think one of the things that was most damning about their exit to Bayern recently was the fact that Bayern fielded more French players than them than, than PSG That's in the shocking. second leg. Mm. And it was ex-Parisian Eric Maxime Choupo-Moting, ex-Parisian uh, cult hero and uh, former Youth Academy graduate Kingsley Coman who did you know, most of the damage over those two legs. So that in itself is really uh, you know, quite damaging for, for PSG. But also we talk about PSG not tapping into their young talent um, as if it's some sort of modern phenomenon and that only applied to, to the Qatari era. <clears throat> Yet PSG are a club that pretty much, uh, you know, since even the beginning of the 90s, their first golden era, you know, were struggling to, to, to really make the most of the talent that was on their doorstep. You know, Thierry Henry, Patrice Evra, Samuel Eto, guys who were pretty much there for the taking on PSG's doorstep that never actually ended up, you know, being part of the club. It's, it's not something new. I mean, I think it's more accentuated now, obviously, because of the sums of money that are being pumped into the project, uh, you know, by PSG's Qatari owners. But, uh, you know, there is, uh, you know, a large element of truth to the fact that PSG probably should have placed, well, not even probably, they definitely should have placed more importance, uh, you know, on the role of some of those youth academy graduates and perhaps developed a way to bring them on uh, to a level where they could have competed, uh, you know, for PSG at senior level without having to leave the club on a permanent basis. Because right now, in this latest iteration of PSG's uh, Groundhog Day, you've got people talking about the possibility of going out, trying to bring back Moussa Diaby for, I don't know, upwards of 50 million from Bayer Leverkusen. Mm. You know, what's the point when you've got young talent, the likes of Warren Zaya Emery coming through, who could potentially be a generational talent? Why not learn from the past now and actually focus on not making those same mistakes in the future? I think what's interesting to me is the fact that for the first time, as, as, as you say, JJ, there's this sort of European understanding of they might not be going in the right direction. You know, people, are, I think, outside France are, are dazzled by the stars. 
and they think that's what PSG is about. And that penny dropping feels like a, a bit of a, a, a turning point to me. I guess the question that I would have to you is, is it actually possible? Because I think in the short term, it's quite difficult to do. Why Diaby and uh, Christopher Nkunku, who is going to go on to Chelsea this summer and I think will be very, very good in the Premier League, already proven in the Champions League, of course. Why they're important is because they're players who came through, looked like they can do it, and yet didn't feel as if they could build themselves a career at PSG. So they had to take a step back to take their step forward to the Premier League or, or, or wherever else. So I think until you've got Zaire Emery, maybe a Bichiabu, whoever else is next. I think because if you look at the players who've left and you look at the way actually that Presnel Kimpembe has been treated, it feels as if they don't have any status. And if I was a young Parisian player, I would feel as if I didn't really have a chance at establishing myself as a star. I would feel, feel maybe I could get some games. If I was good enough, I could, I could get some games and I would have a little try. But I would feel that the club wasn't really committed to developing those players. Now, if you think of the direction that uh, Qatari football is going in, it's definitely youth development rather than stars after this. It's all about the academies over there. Um, they're buying up young players from around Europe um, to play in the Qatari Stars League. They've bought a bit of Braga, which is where they're planning to develop more players as, as well, although they weren't ready to take Vitinha yet. So he, he went to Marseille. So this is a project that's going to take time to create that sort of confidence takes time. And in, in a way, they've sort of, you know, when they went out of the Champions League to Manchester City a couple of years ago under, under, under Pochettino, there was that sense there of, hang on, could we have done this a little differently? If we hadn't have spent like 200 million each on two superstars, if we'd have bought five or six great players for 60, 70, 80 million, maybe that would have been a different way of doing it. I wonder if in another way they're looking at City now and thinking the way they didn't have the confidence of Sancho, for example, he left because he felt he couldn't get in the team and that absolutely gobsmacked Guardiola. But they really determinedly kept on, kept hold of Phil Foden and said, you're not going on loan, you're staying with us. And now City have other players coming through, like they have Rico Lewis, they have Cole Palmer. But as you've seen with City, that takes years to get people to believe that that's actually your intention. And is there anything there for those young players to believe that at the moment, JJ? I mean, I think one potentially crucial way, uh, you know, of establishing that trust, that belief uh, is by, uh, you know, showing that there is now a pathway towards the senior team. And they are, to be fair, one of the success stories of this season, and there are not many. Uh, you know, is the fact that Zaire Emery is doing this. You look at the minutes that he's mm. picking up. I mean, compare him to the previous, uh, you know, strong hope from the the youth academy, which was Xavi Simons. I know that he wasn't, you know, Parisian born and bred, but he came through the academy, made his professional debut with PSG. So to all intents and purposes, you know, was considered a homegrown talent. Uh, you know, the minutes that the likes uh, of Zaire Emery and Bichyabu are getting at this moment in time, uh, you know, that will or should at least be encouraging, uh, you know, to some of the, the the brighter talents coming through the youth academy. But it can't be a one-off. You know, that now has to become the norm. And PSG do actually have, uh, you know, an agreement in place to potentially bring back Xavi Simons. PSV are doing their, you know, absolute best 
to try and get uh, you know rid of that agreement so that they can keep him. Uh, you know, but if PSG were to be able to bring him back, you know, that perhaps you know in you know combined with Zay Emery's development you know, could herald a new dawn for, for young talent. Who knows? But this is the kind of strange, uh, you know, situation, scenario that PSG have created for themselves as they try to work out what's going to be their identity moving forward. Is it about confidence, as Andy says, or is it about culture? Because I've, I've worked in big organisations. Are they not the same thing? Confidence and culture. No, well, well, that, that, does, so. does confidence not help create the culture? Oh, in, yeah. In, and, in this point, and also vice versa. I would have thought. Mm. But I, I just wonder whether um, it's very difficult when a culture is, you know, seeps through the DNA of a club. Mm. It's very difficult to change it, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I, I, like I said, I, I think it takes a while. And the thing is, for for big problems, you want instant solutions. But instant solutions aren't available for big problems. They, they take time. And there's, there's no patience for that at the, at the top of European football. I think the one thing that I feel is in really in PSG's favour here is conversely Kylian Mbappe. The fact that, as you were pointing out when we were speaking about it before the show, the fact that, okay, he's a big superstar, who costs a lot of money. He's also Parisian. He also understands that organic is probably the way forward for them. And he's a totem for those young Parisian players. Now, we've talked a lot about his contract in, in recent weeks and how there could be a bit of an issue because he's only really got one year left before he's opt-out at the end of this season. PSG are in a unique position because there are a few clubs in the world who could afford to play the clock and let him run down his deal and convince him. But they can do that. They don't have to sell. They don't have to think. Oh, we've only got a year left. We'd better sell him to Real Madrid because we might lose him for nothing at the end of the season. They will hold. They will absolutely one hundred percent hold on to him. I, I don't think there's anything that makes them sell him as they build. It's time to ask you both for a game of the week recommendation for us. Uh, you're going local, I see. JJ? Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to stay in France. And actually, I mean, if I was to, to advise you sort of in a gastronomic capacity, I'd probably, uh, you know, push you towards, uh, I mean, I'm always biased. I like to go to, towards somewhere like Corsica, especially this time of year. But I don't think Ajaxio, Port, uh, Monaco, Ajaxio Monaco is going to set the pulses racing, uh, really, despite the fact that, you know, the weather is now starting to warm up it's on the venue, island. Though. I'm actually... I'm a sailing I'm derby. Actually, <laughs> I'm actually going to give you um, a drop recommendation instead, drinks-wise, and I am going to go to Reims to watch uh, Will Still's, uh, you know, fantastic um, unbeaten run in the league. Uh, hopefully, continue uh, at the expense of Marseille, who obviously are desperate to try and close that gap on on PSG at the top of the table. So much to to, to like about this one and the the, the stories on on both sides, but also. Plenty of champagne to uh, to enjoy during the match as well, before and after. Champagne? I thought it was a food recommendation, Andy, that we were after. Gastronomic. Ah. He can do what he wants. The French make their own rules. Also, I have to say, it was inevitable at some point JJ would recommend going to Reims for champagne and he's not let us down. Uh, can we stick to the food with your recommendation? Yeah, yeah we can. And French? trust me, it's going to be the other end of the scale. Huge game, 1.30 on Sunday afternoon that you can actually watch for free on British TV on Mola. It's uh, Ajax versus Feyenoord. 
is huge. Uh, Ajax making a bit of a comeback under uh, Johnny Heitinger. I think it's six wins in, in, a, in a row now after getting really stuck under Alfred Schroeder. When it comes to money being backed, Ajax should be winning the league year after year after year with the big sales they've made recently with the Champions League money they've, they've stacked up. Feyenoord have, have dealt with the pressure really well so far whilst continuing to do so well up until tonight at least um, in, in Europe. So it's, it's going to be absolutely huge. In the return fixture, Ajax were terrible in the first half and stole a draw really in De Kalp. But now the pressure is back on them in Amsterdam. We're really going to see what Feyenoord are, are made of. And I think it's going to be an absolutely fantastic game. A must watch. Now, of course, if you've been to football in the Netherlands, you'll know this is something I got a bit in my childhood as, as, as well because my godparents are Dutch. It's a curious phenomenon they have outside the stadium of you go into these little trailers and they have, it's, it's like a sort of kiosk and you put a coin in, turn the lock and you open a drawer with a your snack gun. in. Oh, it's not like no, us. No, like, like actual food. Oh. I mean, some would say horrifying. But I'm thinking you can, you can replicate that by making a hot dog, putting it in a drawer in your house, yeah, yeah. and then when it comes to kickoff time, get the drawer open, take the hot dog out. Dear, oh dear, oh dear. I thought you'd at least go for the cardboard cheese. <laughs> that is, is genuinely disgusting. <laughs> it's just like... What sort of humans will put food I'm, in a drawer? I'm going to stick to the champagne. Yeah, that definitely. Actually sounds like the healthier option. Definitely. <laughs> and you know, you know what? I really, I really should have offered myself some defence and pointed out that there is a Burger King right outside no, no, the station. You in <laughs> no, you shouldn't. <laughs> can you can you get champagne in Burger King? That's the that's, that's the question. The football ramble is a stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. 